Father, we desire to sit at your feet and learn from you, to discover the ways that are good, the ways that are right, and avoid those ways which lead to peril and trouble and strife. Father, we understand that you have given us a free will and we have choices to be made in this life. And we, help, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to make the right choices, that not only may we be pleasing to you, but we may also gain a reward in heaven, which you have told us we should strive for. So, Father, as we get into your word this morning, we ask that you would bless it, have it be implanted in our hearts and may it grow and produce fruit. 30, 60, or 100 times that which has been sown. We thank you and we'll trust you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Choices. We had talked about this last week. We have choices that we get to make. And God, in the giving us of Matthew, especially the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out a series of choices for us, right and wrong, good and evil, a way that leads to prosperity and righteousness and goodness, and a way that leads to destruction. And he encourages us to choose the right way. And he was making some parallels between dogs and pigs and those who were not saved and how we keep the sacred set apart from those who are unsaved. And he said there's some danger in that, that we can be torn to pieces and the pearls can be trampled underfoot and so he says make your choice and choose wisely so in these contrasts this line of contrast he told us do not store for ourselves treasures in heaven or do store for ourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth and those who are enlightened remember the eye is the lamp of the body they can completely see what god has in store for us And those who have not been enlightened, who have not received the Holy Spirit of God, cannot discern what God's will is through his word. And he says you get to make a choice. You can either accept the light or you can reject the light. He also tells us we can't love both God and money. And pagans worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and where they're going to live. And God says do not worry about that, Matthew 6.33. And, of course, we covered the do not judge hypocritically. Well, he goes on for another one, and he says something about treating others the way you would want to be treated. And we get a choice in this. We can either treat them as we would like them to treat us, or we can choose not to. Verse 12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so he says, if you want to keep the entire Old Testament, just treat others well. Treat them like you would want to be treated. And God says that you're to love him and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments, but it's all summed up even in that saying, love everyone, treat them as you would want to be treated. And, you know, this is a common sense thing. This is not only for us who follow Christ, but it is also for those of the world. In his book, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, talks about, Uh, He makes this argument for the existence of God and how he is real, and he uses these moral and philosophical arguments going all the way through. And I think it's about chapter 8. He talks about an apple, and he says, you know, to go up and just take somebody's apple and say, I want it. If there is no morality, uh, you would just say, okay, that's fine. You can have whatever you want. But because there is morality, we're to treat others the way we are to be treated and not steal from them, and even the world recognizes this. Now, you may ask for it, and they may give it to you, but you do not have the right just to take it. And like I said, even the world recognizes, treat others as you would have them treat you. And then he comes up with another contrast and comparison. In verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What he is saying in these two verses is most people that exist do not go to heaven. And he actually says, few there be. Now, if you're to turn to Matthew, and you don't have to, if you're to turn to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll eventually get there when we get to the kingdom parables, there is the parable of the kingdom and the, the sower of the seed. I think more of it's a parable about the soils, 
But a man went out to sow some seed, and some of the seed fell on the pathway. And so as the birds came down and picked up the seed, and they took it away. And the seed is representative of the word of God. So some people who are out there, they have hearts that are just as hard as a path that is well-worn. It does not sink in. It does not get covered up. It does not germinate. It is immediately taken away. And Satan, of course, is represented in the birds that come and take the word of God. And so Satan is working constantly to remove the scripture, which has its effect if it is allowed to germinate. But Satan takes it away. That's the first one. The second one is the seed that falls on the stony ground. Now, the stony ground represents the persecutions that come about for those people who accept Christ. Now, somebody who accepts Christ in today's day and age in our country doesn't receive too much persecution. But back in the day of Christ, you could be killed for it. In other parts of the world, not in the United States, you can also be killed for your faith in Jesus Christ. You can be tortured because of that. There are more people dying today than have died throughout all of history in Christian persecution. Uh, It is widespread throughout the church. If you get any newsletters with the voice of the martyrs, you can read about that. And so when persecution comes, it says the seed takes root in the heart of the individual. They receive that word with gladness and eagerness, and it comes up, it actually sprouts, which means somebody can receive Christ, or seemingly so, They come to the church. They say, this is wonderful. I really enjoy the fellowship here. I enjoy the teaching. I enjoy the donuts and coffee and the extracurricular events that we are all involved in. It's wonderful. But then persecution comes and they fall away. Or in our particular case, it might be family members may start to ridicule, may say, you're following Christ. What are you doing that for? If you've had that happen, you understand what it is to be rejected because you follow Christ. And so there are those, and they can be in the church for years, and then the persecution comes and they leave. The next one is the seed falls among the weeds, and the weeds grow up and choke the seed that is the word of God that is meant to take root and bear fruit. And that weed that comes up, or those weeds that come up, are in fact the desire for other things which are riches, People wish to have riches rather than follow God, and so they spend all their time pursuing the money and the cares of this life. They they want other pursuits. They don't want to follow after God. They don't want to keep him first and foremost in their lives. And so they say, you know, I've had enough with this church. I'm going to leave. I was just reading an article, which I'll probably share in the future. It says why young people are leaving the church, and it gives lots of different reasons why. And one of them is just they want to pursue other things. They just want to go away. They don't want to have anything to do with God and his righteousness and his teaching. They have too many things that just keep them too busy in order to stay inside the church. And those people can be in the church for years. And then they just get this whim, I need to make more money or there's other things I want to do in life. And they leave. So those three so far... All receive the word of God, either Satan takes it away, persecution comes, or the desire for other things and riches take over the life of that individual. There's only one type that receives the word of God, and that's the person who says, God, I want to know who you are. Will you please reveal yourself to me? And God says in the book of Romans, he reveals himself to everyone. And we allow that word of God to come in and take root, and we actually produce fruit. We have works of righteousness that come to fruition, things that we do for others and for God that go on before us as a reward in heaven. Now you had four types of soils. How many were saved? One type. If you had a 100 people and this was true, I don't know if this is true or not, only 25 get into heaven. Out of 100, 25 get there. Now all of you are here. I'm assuming you're of the 25% or want to be of the 25%. But most people do not want to be of the 25%. They want to be of the 75% and follow the ways of the world. And he says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. I just recently saw a picture of a traffic jam in China. There was a freeway, and I, I started counting the lanes, but I gave up. On one side, there was over 20. On the other side, there was over 20. And then there was access roads. And all the cars were stopped in the freeway. And it went on for miles. 
That's a traffic jam. And it says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. You want to find salvation? Narrow is the way that leads to heaven. Have you guys seen that um, one trail? Maybe you've seen it, and you can look it up later. But it's the trail that goes along a rocky cliff, and it consists of a couple of planks and a cable that goes along the rock. And you can grab that cable and make your way around that particular walk. And it's just a couple of boards that are up there, and you look down, and it's thousands of feet down. That is the way that leads to heaven. It's narrow. It's like one person at a time. There's not going to be six 10, 100 people wide going into heaven. It's just like, okay, here's the next one. It's kind of like the illustration, Jesus is the gate. He's the door to the sheep bin. And so it, it says the gate, the narrow gate is the way we have to enter. That is Jesus Christ. And if he's a shepherd and he's standing at the gate of the sheep pen and he's watching each sheep go through, he lets one sheep through at a time. And so we come to him individually. We don't come as a mass group, even though, you know, altar calls are great and hundreds of people can come forward in crusades. And that's great. That's wonderful. But God says, I know you by name and you have come to me personally. And I'm not looking at anybody else right now, but you have given your life to me. And God says, I want to use it. And that's good. We just want to make sure we're part of that 25%. But he says, most people don't want to have anything to do with heaven. And I've given you the reasons, especially in the parable of the sower of the seed. Going on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And here we start to talk about those who are degenerate and those who are regenerate. Now the degenerate starts out here. Watch out or beware for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And so he says, beware there's going to be these individuals who show up are going to be a part of your church and they mean you harm. Now, for a sheep, we're called the sheep. We're God's sheep. We're, he is our shepherd. What does a wolf want to do to the sheep? Wants to have mutton stew, right? He wants to eat that thing right down to the bone and then gnaw on the bone. That's what the wolf wants to do. A wolf will come into the body of Christ, sit down and want to take advantage of you. We've only had that happen a couple of times in this church. We keep a close eye on people who would want to take advantage. You know, there've been people that come to the church and they go from person to person and they fleece them for money, hundreds of dollars. They say that they have problems and we need to take care of these problems. And they don't talk to people as a group. They'll talk to one person, pull them to the side, and they want to fleece the sheep. And we hounded them to such the extent that they left. Like, you're not going to do that here. You're not going to take advantage of the people inside the body of Christ. We have had other issues like that. We want to make sure you guys are protected. And the person that comes in that wants to take advantage of the body of Christ, God says, watch out for them. Be aware. So the leaders in the church and those with the gift of discernment are supposed to ever be watching for those people that would come inside the body. In verse 16, he talks about those false teachers, those who are degenerate. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, but a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Or a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. He's talking about fruit, right? You go up to a citrus tree and you expect to find pecans, no, you, you go up to a citrus tree and you expect citrus. Now, if you go to these online retailers of plants, you can get a stone fruit tree that has been grafted and you will have nectarines on there and you will have peaches on there and you will have uh, apricots and you will have plums. All the stone fruits, you know, would, would be on there on one tree. And that's wonderful but it's because of grafting that's in there. But you would not go up to a fruit tree like a citrus tree and 
expect to find something like cashews or something else on the tree. You plant the tree and you recognize what the tree is, and if it doesn't produce that kind of fruit, we know, of course, from Scripture, the fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit, Jesus cursed it. And so if you go up to the fig tree, you expect to see figs. If somebody says, I'm a believer, what do you expect to see? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the person would be loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving their neighbor as, as themselves. That's the type of fruit you would see. You wouldn't see an individual coming in and trying to take advantage of the body of Christ. Philippians 2 says, consider others better than yourselves. The person that comes in is like a wolf is only thinking about themselves, what they can get out of the body of Christ, how they can benefit themselves. Paul was writing to Timothy and says, there are people who come into church and they sit down and they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Look at the church. I can't tell you how many times we've had to say when the directory comes out and it's due to come out, I know that the things are being passed out. People want to take that and add it to their sales list. And we specifically say, do not do that. And we've had people do that in the past. They get in the church and they say, oh, you know, let's, let's see. I can call all these people, all the A's and all the B's this week. And next week I'll get the C's and the D's. Not supposed to do that. So if you get a directory, don't think it's your new sales list that you can go through. Don't take advantage of the people inside the church. And so this fruit that they bear, you will know. What kind of fruit will you recognize on a person such as this, a false prophet or a false teacher or a heretic that comes inside the church? What will you notice? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I already named all of those. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, anger, dissension, factions, and the like. If you see somebody come into the body of Christ and they're arguing about stuff, like, I don't like the color of the floor. Really? I don't like it that they turn the lights on when the message is given. I'd rather have the lights down. Why is he doing that? Why, why did he play that song? He's played that song like a hundred times in the last month. How come he, why does he play a song that's way too high? I can't even reach that range. What's going on with that? And the donuts, they never have my favorite. You know, they're just complaining about everything and they forget, forget about Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. But that's what they do. And we've had people, you know, we've talked to them, well, why are they doing this? And why are they doing that? What's the problem? It's like, just ask. And if you have an issue, you don't have to talk to everybody about it. But that's what happens with the person who comes in the church. It says you will know them by their fruit. So immediately, if somebody is arguing, and if they are upset and complaining about this or that or the other thing, as a believer, I just want you to take a step back and just let them run with it. Just listen to what they have to say. And then kindly, if it's a brother, you walk up to say, Brother, have you memorized Philippians 2.14? Let me encourage you. And you can get somebody with a gift of encouragement. I just found out that Chris Calvert and Rudy, you guys have the gift of encouragement, right? So if you guys are a complainer, go see those guys. I want you to talk to them, and they will let you know that, hey, let me encourage you, brother, not to complain and not to argue. This is good, and you should have the fruit come out of your life that is holy and acceptable and in in keeping with the salvation that you have been called to. And so that's what God tells us to watch out for. Now, with these individuals that would come into the church, we have been warned about the false apostles and deceitful workmen. Second Corinthians 11 verse 20 says, In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. What a church meeting that must be. You know, it, it, what are you talking about? Slap and you slap the person. At, who do you think you are? It's doing that. And God says, watch out for those people. And he was, Paul, was chastising the Corinthian church because they thought, well, you know, I'm just suffering for Christ and I need to be corrected. That is nuts. You you guys remember uh, Jim Jones, for those of us who are old enough, and how all those people died. Uh, It didn't instantly end up like that. There were certain steps that they went through, and he was definitely a false prophet. He was a charlatan. He was in it for himself and nobody else, and it cost him and everybody else their lives. But what they started doing in church was he would talk about how the people in the church were sinful and there are certain behaviors going on they shouldn't be going on. So he would line people up in the aisles 
one at a time, they would receive a spanking. They would cut. You can read about it, Jim Jones. I learned about it in seminary. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He would spank everybody in the church, and you would come up and... What a church service that was, huh? <laughs> Apply the rod of correction to the seat of understanding. And that's what they would do. They would come forward. And, and so it started like that, an authoritarian that would be inside the church. And then he ended up taking them down south into South America. And, of course, they lost their lives. And so somebody like that will want to take advantage of people inside the church. And we're to be in constant lookout for them. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 3 says, But there will, were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute in their greed these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping so there are those who are heretics that take advantage of the body of christ now, what is a heretic? Well, it's somebody who holds to or adheres to an opinion or belief that contradicts established religious teaching. Somebody who says, well, I, I don't believe in that. Something that is officially recognized by the religious authorities that are out there, like the church in general. If you get a group of elders or a group of pastors together, normally they're going to agree on what is solid doctrine and what is not solid doctrine. And God works that way through the church to keep the doctrine on course. Paul told Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, you'll save not only yourself, but your hearers as well. And so we want to make sure we have this doctrine down that the false teaching, the heresy, does not come into the church. So we have the heretics. We also have apostates. Apostate is somebody who has renounced a religious belief or an allegiance. It's like, well, I was in the church for decades, and then I just left. One of those seeds, the one that fell on rocky ground, or the one that was choked by the ways of the world, they have apostatized. They have left the faith. First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so there will be doctrines that come into the church. Now, every time I've mes- mentioned this particular Outfit, somebody has left the church. Believe it or not. And you're saying, what doctrine is that? What practice is that that you taught that somebody got offended and they left the church? Or I taught about this particular organization. You ready for it? Now let's move on. No. (laughs) It is AA. Alcoholics Anonymous. And people say, you know, AA has done so much good, and it has, to get people off of alcohol. And NA, Narcotics Anonymous, that has also done a tremendous world of good for this life. In my opinion, it has a tendency to switch addictions. If you go to an AA meeting, what are two things that are there? That's it. Coffee and cigarettes. Those are the big things. In San Diego, they had an AA thing here, I don't know, 10 years ago. At the, I think back then it was Jack Murphy Stadium. And one thing that they made sure they had was everybody could smoke in the stadium and everybody had coffee. And so they kind of switched the addiction. But you might say, well, that's not a reason to speak against the organization, is it? No, it's not. If people want to smoke and they want to have coffee, well, there are worse things in life than cigarettes and coffee. I would recommend that, you know, moderation is a good thing. You know, both my parents died from uh, cancer because of cigarettes, and so, yeah, it's just an evil thing. But what about AA? Well, Bill Wilson, the founder, you know, he wasn't a Christian, and people believe that AA is a Christian organization, and it's not. He got the 10 steps through necromancy. 
What's necromancy? It's basically talking to demons. A necromancer will take a pad of paper and take a pen in his hand and he'll just start going like this and kind of go in a trance and just start writing stuff out. That's what they do. That's what Bill Wilson did. He completely renounced following Christ, Jesus Christ. And those who were around him that knew that, that were believers in the original documents, he was mentioning God and they had an objection to that because he had rejected Christ. You can read the story. This is all online. It's out there. And, And so they objected to that. So he changed it to a higher power is what he changed it to. So for this life... Does it do good for those who are involved in alcohol and drugs? Well, yes, it does. And I always encourage those people who are going to AA, if they're in there, don't stop there. Don't plant there and make that your church or your religion. Move on to Jesus Christ and grow as a believer. Mature in your faith. That's what God wants us to do. And if you're always involved in that, I would say, well, you know, that's for this life. And that's all that it's going to profit anyone who is in there. And I know some people who go there, they, they call it their fishing hole. Zzz, they reel them in. They come to church with me, you know. And they, they end up coming to church and they end up be, being believers and it's all great. And Jesus Christ becomes their higher power and that's good. But I, I just want to let you know that that doctrine of demons, it's involved in the... Ten steps and AA. Now you might say, well, but they're, they're, they're good steps. Yeah, there's some great things in there. Making amends for sins. I mean, lots of good stuff. It's kind of like this. You know, apricots. You like apricots? Apricots are good. Well, what if I told you, you should start eating the apricots and the seeds? Why is that not good? Because the seed contains poison. It's either strychnine or cyanide. I forget which one it is, but that's in the seed. And so if you ate the whole fruit, it's like the, most of the fruit is good. It's fleshly. It's tasteful. It's wonderful. But if you eat the seed, it could eventually kill you or cause some health problems. See, that's the idea that's going on. Why would we throw in a substitute? It, it, let me explain it like this. Drew, that I go with to Africa and been to Cambodia and uh, we do everything. He does this inductive Bible study. And he says, you know, if I took a cup of water and I had it and, and uh, water, you're thirsty, you just want to drink it, right? And he goes, well, what if I went up to the local toilet, dipped my finger in the bowl and dropped one drop in the cup? Would it be good? You wouldn't want to drink that, but it's mostly good, right? It's, it's mostly good, so ah, what's a little infection here and there? You know, you just take it. That's the point of following Christ. And so, you know, if, if you have an issue with AA, look it up online, deal with that. You don't need to shoot the messenger, even though it happens. Yeah. But it's this idea that we want the pure milk of the word. We want purely Jesus Christ and to follow him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God doesn't tell us to follow anything else like that. Uh, C.S. Lewis, again, at Cambridge, England, he described Bill Wilson's activity or somebody described it to him. And he wrote back to these individuals at the time that this program was getting started. C.S. Lewis wrote back to these individuals who inquired of him, of this Bill Wilson guy, to C.S. Lewis. He said, have nothing to do with it, is what C.S. Lewis did. Now, going on with this, it talks about having hope for just this life, like for us. If the resurrection were not real... Well, we only have hope for this life, just benefiting others. But we don't have hope for the next life. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 talks about that. If we follow Christ and there is no resurrection, we only have hope for this life. We don't have hope for the next life. And we are to be pitied because if the resurrection isn't real, I would say, have all the coffee and cigarettes you want and whatever else you want because this is all there is. But that's not true. God has told us what lies ahead. So there are false prophets, there are heretics, and there are deceivers. Now, deceivers will hang out with Christians. They will speak like Christians. They will say they believe in God. They do good works. 
and they go out of their way to appear orthodox. But Jesus in Matthew 24, and when we get to Matthew 24, I'm going to park there for a while, and I'm going to talk about eschatology. I'm going to talk about all the things that are transpiring right now in the day and age that we live and compare that to Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and the Gospel of Mark as well and go back maybe to Ezekiel and get into Daniel and go to the book of Revelation. I'm going to make sure you know everything you've ever wanted to know and maybe even some more about what's going to happen in the end times when you get to Matthew chapter 24. But there in verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. You mean there's going to be some people that are going to try to deceive me? You think? You know, there's this thing going around today called fake news. Do you know what it used to be called? Propaganda. That's what it used to be called. Now it's called fake news. They would put, they put a spin, that's another word for it. They put a spin on it that make you think something that isn't actually true. When you turn on the, the television, the mind numb box that's there, usually there's more commercials than there are programs. And those commercials are committed. Madison Avenue, that's where the advertising agencies used to hang out in New York. And they try to convince you that you absolutely need something. A thousand people can't be wrong and you need to take advantage of this right now and call now and not only will you get one for 1995, but you'll get two. And you know, you, oh, I need that. And you call it QVC. Why do you think QVC is so popular? They put something out there that just looks wonderful and you say, I have to have that. And you charge it and it's just wonderful and you think it's going to be fulfilling to you and it's not fulfilling. Watch out that no one deceives you. Jesus said those people would be in the church that would try, make an attempt to deceive you and to deceive me. And he says, watch out for them. Now, also, Paul was talking to Titus in his letter. And he he talks about those who have the trustworthy message. He says, the individual who would be a leader inside the church, a a deacon, a a servant inside the church, a deacon, an elder, a pastor, a teacher, whoever it would be, It says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Are all of you, am I, are we ready to oppose bad doctrine? Those who would say, no, that's not true. Just like uh, the Hindus believe in reincarnation. Some Christians believe in reincarnation. Yeah, I believe you get a second chance. Ixnay on that, Hebrews 9.27, what does it say? It is appointed unto man once to die and then comes judgment. There is no second chance. You don't get a do-over. There are no do-overs. By the way, the the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons both teach you get a do-over. And, you know, I always ask them. I say, you know, the way that I believe Scripture teaches, Hebrews 9.27, I get one chance. This life, I get one chance. But if I don't believe what you believe... I get a second chance. So I could be completely wrong, be resurrected. God would come to me and say, what do you think now? And I'd say, okay, I'm in. You know, if that's the case. And both of those Christian cults teach that. Of course, the Mormons, you won't get to the celestial kingdom because you weren't sealed and married inside of the temple. And that's too bad for you. You might go to the celestial or the terrestrial kingdom that lies ahead. And the Jehovah Witnesses don't even go to heaven. They come back here to the earth and they repopulate the earth. Only 144,000 go to heaven. This is bad doctrine all over the place. And the Mormons think that they're going to be married in heaven. Who does scripture tell us we're going to be married to? Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. If we're married to somebody else in heaven, we're adulterers. That's a, no, it's not good. So proper doctrine, we need to be able to refute that doctrine. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 22, by the way, if you want to look it up. There is no marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. And so we need to be prepared. Watch out for the deceivers, the apostates, the heretics, the false prophets who are out there. Second John chapter 1 verse 7 says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. By the way, this is called docetism. 
Docetism held to the belief that Jesus being God was so holy, he couldn't possibly have been a human being. That was just an illusion. That's Christian scientists. They believe everything is an illusion. You know, and, and so we need to be able to refute these false doctrines which are out there. There are Gnostic heresies going around in the first century. First, that Jesus Christ was not God in human form. And then, then he was not man. They couldn't make up their minds. They were going back and forth. Well, which one is it? And it took a while to solidify these particular doctrines. But we need to make sure we can stand up against these deceivers who would tell us it's not true. Or those, if you go to Second Thessalonians, this idea that the rapture had already taken place, the day of the Lord was already upon him. And Paul said, no, I wrote you in the letter, these things must happen first before the wrath of God comes. And we need to be able to defend that. All of us do, not just go talk to the pastor. He'll set you straight on that. I don't think you have a quite correct understanding. Don't do that. Just say, no, this is incorrect. This is what scripture has to say. And if you do that, you know, it's like, shing, you pull out that sword and you're just slicing and dicing. And the person may either say, wow, I never knew that. How do you know scripture so well? Say, I don't. It's the spirit of God living in me. Shing! And you slice again. You do something like that. But it's this idea that you bring correction and you do it gently with understanding of those who you're talking to. Or the person may completely reject you. You know, I've, I think I've communicated before. I was talking to uh, two Mormon elders who were 17 years old or 16 years old. And they rebuked me. When I told them your doctrine is false and all that, they said, get thee behind me, Satan. And they rode off on their bikes and going away. <laughs> you know, so uh, what are you going to do? You, you just give them the proper doctrine and they can either accept it or reject it. Again, that comes down to what I originally talked about, this choice. We have a choice. We have a choice to bone up, so to speak, on the scriptures and have it right. Or we can choose not to. And we can be easily deceived. In order to be deceived... Our mind has to be so open that our brain falls out. We don't want that. We want to make sure that everything is intact and we're not open to this Johnny-come-lately doctrine which might be out there. Now, what about destructive heresies? What kind of destructive heresies are out there? I'm glad you asked. There are so many of these destructive heresies that have come throughout the ages. For instance, one of the popular ones today is not calling sin, sin. Somebody might be offended. I was talking to somebody this morning that every time we turn around, somebody's getting offended and you can't do something. Otherwise, you might hurt somebody's feelings and they may feel shameful and need some pudding and puppies and that will help them to feel better on the inside. And, and there was this one article, I was just telling Alan about it this morning. This, this guy if, in a university in Ohio, I think he was retired, emeritus, And he wrote this article how men tend to lean towards the sciences like math and physics and things like that. And women don't. Women tend to go in other directions. And so he wrote this lengthy article about it and he put it in a journal. And inside the journal, they found out the people who published the journal in the university said, you know, this is not good that you write that. Some women might read that and get scared. And I thought to myself, might get scared that the guy says, Men have a tendency to go into math and sciences. Yes, because it it could be harmful to the women's psyche to hear that if they I'm going, are you kidding me? You know, it's just an observation he's saying, and we can't do anything without offending somebody. God calls us to call sin, sin. Say, this is wrong, and this is right. And if we don't do that, that's a heresy. If we just placate somebody like, oh, you know, to each his own. No, somebody's going to destruction. So that's one. How about, uh, here's a doctrine, double, priest at, double predestination. Now, I don't know if you know what this is, but in Scripture, in the book of Romans, it talks about God making vessels, some for honor and some for dishonor. And some people are prepared for destruction, so to speak. And what that says is, God has prepared some people to go directly to hell to not even have a chance to get saved. And other people, they are saved, and they have no choice in the matter. You're going to get saved whether you like it or not. You're going to be drugged into the kingdom, screaming and kicking. You're coming whether you want to, and that's what God does. That's this double predestination. 
It's a bad doctrine. It goes so far as to say don't evangelize because if you do go out and evangelize, somebody who is destined for destruction might get regenerated and that's going to mess everything up and their doctrine just flies off the handle. like, what are you guys talking about? This is bad doctrine. This is heresy. That's one. Oh, the Aaron heresy, Arian heresy. Jesus is not God. Docetism, I just talked about that. Hell is not real. I remember seeing a guy on television. He was talking about heaven and hell. And he said, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. And I'm listening to that. And this was years ago. I think I stood up at that time and I started talking back to the TV. And it, and when I said, I said, haven't you read Matthew chapter 25, verse 46? Some are raised to everlasting life and some to everlasting punishment. Have you not read Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, where it says some are raised to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt? Do you not know what Christ has said about this and what God had wrote in the Old Testament through the prophet Daniel? What is wrong with you? And that's a heresy. People, we get, we get one of two choices. Again, it gets down to a choice. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? There is no way station. By the way, that's another heresy. That means Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient if you go to purgatory. You have to work off your sin. And there's nothing you can do to work off your sin, to cleanse it. It's all by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's another heresy which is there. Well, what about universalism? We're all in. That's what universalism is. Everybody gets saved because God is a loving God. No, God is a just God too. And he judges sin. That is a heresy which is out there. And people will come in the church and say, you know, I think that God just loves everybody and that everybody's going to get saved. No, you can stand up at that point and say, you know, that's really bad doctrine. And you might say, well, I don't want to be offensive. Are you kidding me? People listen to that kind of doctrine. I'm going to be offensive to the person. You need to stop teaching this bad doctrine. People will end up going to hell if they don't hear the proper doctrine. And you don't have to be abrasive on it. You just say, hey, man, that's bad doctrine. Where'd you get that doctrine? TG and Y, excuse me, Kmart. No, they're going out of business too. Uh, Walmart, is that where you got that particular doctrine? Do you want to make sure? Do you guys remember TG and Y? Toys, groceries, and the other things, remember? Uh, never mind, I'm going on. <clears throat> so uh, what, what about the doctrine, a slain in the spirit? Now, I believe in the gifts of the spirit. I believe that they're for today. I'm not a cessationist, but I am not sensational. I, I don't believe that swinging from the chandeliers, running up and down the aisles, and you know all that stuff, I, I, it's barking in the spirit, all of that is just ridiculous. That's not what scripture tells us we're supposed to be doing but this idea of slain in the spirit the way that it was taught and still is taught is that the spirit of god overtakes you so much that you have no control objection your honor you know when it says in first corinthians chapter 14 verse 32 that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets that means nobody's going to be out of control and so see these bad doctrines these heresies come in what, here's one that was around in the 80s. Self-esteem. You're so good. Scripture says, there is none righteous. No, not one. No one is good. There is only one who is good, and that is Jesus Christ. Everyone else, completely and utterly worthless. And God says, I'm going to save you anyhow. And that's the proper perspective that we're supposed to have. We don't want to go to the way of the world to get our understanding of what God is talking about. And what about health, wealth, and prosperity? God wants you healthy, he wants you wealthy, and he wants you to prosper. Really? Tell that to the persecuted church around the world. If you go to some of these countries where the Christians, they're, they're having their churches torn down, they're losing their lives, they're being persecuted. If they held on to this doctrine, they would be confused and, well, God, I don't get it. How come I'm not wealthy? I remember... He's not on the television too much anymore. Fred Price. I have a lot of money because God wants me to have a lot of money. Well, that may be true for you, but I don't think so. Sounds like more you think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And what Oral Roberts started so well and said, if you don't give him $8 million, God's going to take him home. I said, sign up, get on the train, buddy. You're going home. 
I mean, that's, that's the way we have to look at this stuff. So this is bad doctrine. This is heresy or the last one I'm going to give you. There are many ways to God. God is the hub and the spokes all lead to the hub. Sorry, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate to the sheepfold. I am the door. He said he was it exclusively. There is no other way. And you might ask the question, which I would, why didn't he create two or three ways? Because we wouldn't be satisfied with two or three ways. We'd want a hundred different ways. So it doesn't matter. He just said, this is it. This is the simple way. Follow it. These are bad doctrines. We need to be able to discern them. And those who teach them, the false prophets that come inside the church or those heretics. And it says in scripture that they will come in sheep's clothing. Now, a shepherd would wear shepherd's clothing. If you were to work at Pet Boys, what would you expect to see somebody under the hood? He would have a uniform on, Pet Boy, Manny Mo and Jack, right? And then a name would be right there. That's what you would expect to see. But if you see somebody working on your car underneath and he's wearing a robe like Jesus, would you say, I, I don't, or he had a clown outfit on. A clown's working on my car, you know? (laughs) You would not expect to see that. But a shepherd would wear shepherd's clothing. And, And he says the person that comes inside the church will appear to you as being a godly Christian leader who is full of wisdom. Probably a man inspired by Satan or a woman that would come in and that's what they would do. There are women we've had in the church before. They're they're just kind of scoping things out. Okay, who's available? You know, and and guys too. You know, oh yeah. Ooh, she's cute. She's nice. And I have to confess, that's how I found my wife. You know? (laughs) She was there. Here she comes, you know, walking down. Well, let me go on. So <laughs> this outward appearance is what we are supposed to take a note of, but it's what proceeds from the abundance of the heart. It will come out their mouth. What they are saying, if the doctrine is good, if the doctrine is solid, if they're complaining, if they're arguing, if they're dividing the body of Christ, because that's what the enemy wants to do, is divide the body of Christ. And of course, it also said, it is their fruit. You will, you will certainly see their fruit. But even Jude 1.4 says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And so God wants us to be aware of these degenerate people. He also goes on in verse 8, that same book, and says, In the very same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. Verse 10 says, And these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning, excuse me, unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. And so these guys come in, they're, they're just to be watched out for. Uh, it also goes on, verse 16, grumblers and fault finders. Jude one nineteen says, men who divide you. So if there's people come in who sow discord and gossip, or women who do the same, know that they are deceivers, they are false prophets, you are to be aware of them. They probably carry with them lots of heresies, And we are to make sure we call them out. We don't have to be meek and lowly and mild when it comes to these things. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not or did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So I'm going to wrap this up here, and I'll probably deal with this a little more. So we, we have a choice to follow God, to not follow God. We have a choice to follow money and go after that and be pursuing the things of the world or follow Christ and godliness and righteousness and Bible study and fellowship and all of those things. Because there will always be those in the body of Christ who will not even not always be just heretics and false teachers and those types of people, but there will be people inside the church who think they are saved and they are not saved. That's what Jesus is saying here in verses 21 through 23. Now, how can you know that you're saved? 
Now, I'm going to give you a couple of points here, but I won't probably have time for all of them. Well, here's how you can know. Know that you're not saved by works. See? <laughs> that was perfect timing. <laughs> Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. We cannot do any work to save us. So we can know that, that the works are not going to save us. You must confess and believe or trust in Christ to save you from your sin. I've said Romans 10, 9, and 10 so much, you could probably repeat it right after me. In Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do, you and your household will be saved. That's what it says there. And so we have to confess. I follow Jesus Christ. I confess to you freely and openly. That, okay, that's good. That's good. You got those two things. You're not saved by works. And if you confess and believe, that's good. Well, also abide or remain. If you remain in Christ, if you're in fellowship, if you're growing, if you're maturing, 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. So you must remain. You must persevere to the day of your death. And it's the same thing. Keep his commandments. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew it and beat against the, that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So just those four things. If you walk away with those four things, let me encourage you today. You're safe. That's it. You don't have to worry about it. Not to mention... He gives us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the things which are to come. Second Corinthians 5.5, 5, you can look that up. Let me encourage you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're not going to heaven, you have one of two choices. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Or the other choice, do nothing and by default it happens. It's kind of like that credit card thing. If you don't cancel it, it just keeps on charging. If we don't turn to Christ... Our sins keep on building up and judgment against us. May you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and go to heaven. This is my prayer for you. Father, we'd ask that all who are in here would understand your words, that they would choose you actively, that we, Lord, as a group in here, would proclaim your word, your mission to make disciples and bring people into the body of Christ. We thank you for the salvation and the wisdom that you give us, the things to watch out for, the choices that we can make. Help us always to choose that which is right and pleasing in your eyes. In Jesus' name, the church said.